Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with, to hear how we create strategies that inspire businesses and how we help them curate the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows, so that they can get great results faster and more cost-effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe that the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it, and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very, very best of those. I hope you enjoy this. Let me introduce you to Drew McIver, who studied food marketing and economics at Reading University and then worked for the NFU, then Kerry Foods, and is now a business development manager working for Invest Northern Ireland. Drew works with around 400 food and drink manufacturers, helping them to grow their capability and their network. He has strong relationships with many of the retailers in Ireland and in the UK too, and often lends his expertise to food and drink awards judging panels, which is in fact where I met him. How would you describe your job to other people? How would I describe my job? My job is very varied, to be truthful with you. I work with over 400 food and drink manufacturers across Northern Ireland with the aim of increasing their skills through capability development and also increasing their network through different commercial channels from food service to retail to wholesale and sort of trying to broker relationships and understanding relationships. So it, it comes from both sides. I work from both sides. So I work from the manufacturer up, but I also work from the the commercial venture down. So for example, like a retailer, I would be talking to many of the retailers looking at gaps on their shelves and how we could fulfill these and what manufacturers we could put forward for that there to fulfill the gaps. So it's it's so varied. It's a very, varied job. This is close to commercial without being commercial as and still being part of the working for the government, but it's a very varied role. And how do you think your friends and family describe your job? Do you think they really know? They really know what you do. No. <laughs> many years ago, when I what would they say? What did the kids say? Oh if my you goodness! Ask them? I remember many years ago um, when I used to work for Kerry Foods and Ice Cream in the UK, and the kids told everybody at school that Daddy was an ice cream man. So uh, everybody just thinks I judge food. So because I, I judge uh-huh. in, uh, for different awards across Ireland and the UK. You ask the kids, oh, daddy's a food judge. And that's that's as, about as much as they know. And and they love it. And if they go to shows, they get their badges on and they get their... So they just love it going to shows. But they say daddy talks too much. So That's something we're all guilty of, I suppose. What led you into food? And when did you know first that you were going to get into the food industry? Can you remember? I've always been food. I suppose my mother was a nurse. So she worked night duty and day duty. So we, as I have two brothers, and we were all able to cook from a very early age, and we had to cook, you know, Sunday lunches and dinners at night and have all the preparation done. So I come from quite an agricultural farming type background as well. So I, I've always had that interest in food and want a knowledge of food. And then after that, when I was at school doing my GCSEs, I went on to Lockery College, which would have been one of the leading organisations, educational education uh, organisations, and studied food technology for many years. So it was fantastic because very practical and exceptionally 
very hands-on. Like our food hall, uh, as we called it, the food hall, was still probably one of the most high-tech uh, ones in the industry and uh, within academia. And then we were also put out into placement. So we were out in placement for 20-week placements at a time, working across different types of manufacturers from technical to new product development to commercial. So I was there. Learn that any other way either. No, and it was so beneficial. Like after I finished Lockery, I went on to Reading University. And it was even when we were going for play, there's three of us left Lockery to go to Reading. And even when we were leaving to go for placements, like we were probably the first picked because of our practical knowledge and, you know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just, even just the basic stuff though, isn't it? Because even if you get people that are, food hygiene aware, food safety aware, have been in that kind of environment before, understand what's involved. It's a huge benefit because, you know, normally if you take somebody on that's green, you've got all that to establish with them as well. And it's benefit, like back in my carry days when I used to look after Christmas turkeys, you know, I remember I was commercial at the time and we were in a factory and I was looking for a product to be put out for one of the big malts. And the operation guy says, impossible. I have no lines. I have no people to run a line. If you want to, go and do it yourself. And I went, okay. I said, look, I've run many a production line at the time. No bother. Uh, and you were just able to step in and, and pack down because you had that. And also to debate whether or not you could do things and how they could be done and things. I mean, I when I was with Greg's, I was on the sandwich side of our business and I would say I want a roll that's like this or and you know if they said to you a piece of kit can't do it then I would say could you run some dough and let's have a look and let's see how we can make it do it and even sometimes if I didn't necessarily know how to the fact that I could have that discussion with them would then mean you were more likely to get it you know the way you wanted it it's that practical knowledge that comes comes back through because I was dealing with uh, a small manufacturer in NPD almost be a couple of years ago, and he was trying to make a sausage, but have the sausages. If you took two sausages, it contained a one year portion of veg a day, but he couldn't get it to work. And he said, "Oh, they're you know they're very mushy; they won't come out as sausages." And I I said to the guy, "Oh, I said I have an idea. I've no wee product that you can put into that." And I said, it's, it's, you know, it's not a chemical. I said, you can put a, a pea protein into that and it'll absorb all your water. And he went, right. He says. And it's still a exactly. vegetable. He says, no one told me that. I said, you tell them. And I give them sort of the ratios to stick it in at. And about two weeks later, he invited me down to Locker. He says, come and have a look at this. And their sausages were perfectly formed. And he was able to move. So it's just those little bits of knowledge that you've gained. And and those are huge time savers, aren't they? Because he could have been ages going back and forward and back and forward trying to get that right, trying all sorts of things, adding things in that he didn't want in it and things. And that's the other thing that I think is great about people who don't, who aren't just in one business. Because you're not, you know, like when you were in Kerry, you were in Kerry and okay, they had a broad range of products and things. But you do tend, if you work within a company, to, to really hone down on that one thing. And the great thing about me being a consultant or you coming in is that you're seeing lots of things, not that you would ever share somebody's idea with somebody else unless it would benefit both businesses. But it just means you're keeping that breadth of experience. Sometimes you've seen something in one place that you can apply to a totally different business, but it just keeps you 
learning and understanding new things, whereas you might only have been in bakery or only have looked at sausages. No, I've been quite fortunate over my life because I've actually worked for the National Farmers Union in London for many years in food. Mm. So I'm afraid to say I'm one of the people to blame for the little red tractor. So it's absolutely fabulous. It was a lady, Helen Lowe and myself, after foot and mouth, sat down with the corporate PR and some of the directors in in the NFU thinking, what can we come up with from British food? And we tried every bit of legislation and that's what we came up with. And it's grown since and it continues to grow. But like... And I think, you know, it is something that people look for and they understand what it means and it's simply communicated too. So it's like, no, it is. I think it it's was fantastic at the time. Like you were remo- we removed quite a few logos uh, just to mm-hmm. replace with one logo that to- said ever- tried to say everything. And I mean, I think now too, as people want to make more sustainable choices and things again, they want to know where things yeah. have come from for those reasons. And if we get into a situation where we've got meat coming in from America and things, then I think that, again, is another indicator for people that they, they can do something quickly and safely. You can, and you can see that from my children want to know a lot more about the food, the origins of food, who grew it, you know, where did it come from, what country, what's animal welfare. You can see that that's starting to come through. A lot of questions being asked on sustainability and which is brilliant, isn't it? Do you think that's because you live to in an area where they would see stuff growing and see animals and things? Because I do, I do wonder sometimes when you're in a city, you know, how many people would have would recognise stuff with the mud on yeah. it, or you know, <laughs> um, would know where it had come from. Yeah, you know? I'm quite f- fortunate here where I live in Northern Ireland, very rural. So we've cows, sheep all around us all the time. So and pigs and that there. So. They, no, the, the kids definitely have a good understanding where their dairy comes from, their meat. And because of, I suppose, of our background, you know, I have family who are dairy farmers and I have family who are beef and pig farmers and sheep farmers. So They understand, to the work that goes yeah. into it, which I think is a good thing because, you know, if you're weighing up different things, I, um, during lockdown, I found a great Zoom uh, thing that, let you once a month they would send you two cheeses from one producer an artisan producer and then they would go through them with you sometimes they were different ages sometimes they were two different cheeses but it was great to hear from the producer how they'd started it where it had come from and and it it was done to help them out during lockdown because of course all the restaurants and places these people supplied had closed up and they suddenly had a lot of cheese and a lot of them tried making harder cheeses and things that would have longer life. And, you know, and it was just it was fascinating. But as a result of that, I booked to go on a cheese making course in London with a, a company in Tottenham who set up in London, a company called Wilds, who set up in, in London in response to the Tottenham riots yes. to have something good happening there they were going to set up and they were going to go away out to somewhere leafy and beautiful and they decided instead that they would stay in the middle of London and do it which was great and so I went there with my nephew for the day and I couldn't believe how much milk went into six small pieces of cheese 20 litres of milk gave us three bits of cheddar type cheese three bits of brie and three pieces of blue cheese and a little bit of cream cheese and I, you know what I mean? He'd said to us, 
wee try to get it home and I was thinking the milkman would love me, wouldn't he, if he had to deliver 40 bottles of milk to me one morning. But, you know, it is, it's amazing and it then makes you realise why that cheese has the it price is. it has on it and I think it's such a good thing to do and I think the more we can all learn about where food comes from and how it's produced and what goes in to making good food and what some of the shortcuts might be and then you can choose whether you want them or not. And not everybody, obviously, particularly this last year, that's been evident, can afford to spend a lot of money on food. But at least if you have an, a knowledge, mm. you can decide which bits but I think it, you absolutely have to buy or which bits, if you can't afford them, you're going to go without and and do something else because that food's not actually going to add anything to your life nutritionally, yeah. you know. And I think the more folk can do that and the Marcus Rashford home carriage project that shows people how to make simple meals yes. for a small amount of money to leave you feeling full, I think these things are really important. And I know you've been at the sharp end of helping folk get a hold of food for the last year too. Yeah, so. and it's surprising the food poverty that's out there. It is really, really surprising that the level Sad. of deprivation within that, with you know, just fuel poverty and food poverty is unreal. And yeah, like I was, I was at the sharp end for pretty much a year there, and I'm still involved, and I'm still heavily involved in 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 purchasing of food for food banks as well. So I still get involved in all that. But it's sad. And even with the inner city, like I think there's more, more probably more we could do with inner city kids to teach them like, you know, growing potatoes in a bucket and veg in a bucket. And, you know, you don't need, people seem to think you need these big fields just to oh. grow things, but you can actually grow it in very small and, and broad beans and peas. I grow, to, like, you know, yep. we have a part of the garden converted here where we grow veg and I grow tomato. But I mean, even with balconies and things, I, I always think about Sri Lanka where they grow all the veg on a really steep, you know, bit of hill that you wouldn't have given yeah. thought to. And then a tiny patch and it's all got bits of everything so that you don't get a glut of something. And, you know, they have a different, obviously, set of seasons. But last year during lockdown, the conservation department of Dilma, the tea client that I work with, they produced a whole lot of grow your own at home and they were showing you how to use Coca-Cola mm -hmm. bottles to grow things in and just, you know, even if it's just tomatoes and how to how to get the seeds and, you know, not just to be going to buy everything. So even in the very smallest ways, if kids get the chance to do that at school and things or at home, it's a great thing it for them to do. And, it and everybody them. always says they, they do taste different. And I think they do. You know, they definitely, definitely do. There's a, well, it's all the labour you've put in or, or all the work you've put in. They just, there's that bit of, they taste that little bit sweeter. And also the pace at which they grow. And so much of what we get on fruit and veg might have had to come from a long way away yeah. and will have been held in chill for so long too that you sometimes lose that aroma of it that would make you pick it up. Whereas if it's come out your own balcony, yes, potato bin, whatever, that smell still there. It's like getting new oh, potatoes, isn't it? Even if you get them in the supermarket, the difference is unbelievable. It's like when we go back, well, I of the era where strawberries came once a year and the yes. excitement around that was unreal, you know, and this, I, I can oh. still smell them, you know. I've been talking to a group of um, people th this morning about plant-based eating 
what some of the workarounds are, what some of the shortcuts are for things, you know, what they could replace things that their families had been eating before with and things. And and also keeping an eye on cost. And I said to them, the biggest piece of advice on cost is eat seasonally because then you're always eating what's in season. And it is more exciting too because, you know, because things change. You can only get that thing for a short time. and But if you can eat what is seasonally available within the UK, you're getting a good mixed diet and you'll be paying a lot less for it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And it's just get, it's getting a bit of knowledge as well. Understanding what that means and what those things are. That's definitely it, isn't it? If somebody met you for the first time and then were describing you, what would you want their first impression of you to be? I'm an uber, uber positive person. I don't, you know, for me, a problem is only a challenge that you haven't found a solution to yet. And that that's probably where I come from very much, you know, a solution, a problem or is only an opportunity, you know, and it's just finding that. So I'm, I'm a, if people met me, I'd say they'd like to think that I'm a very, very positive person. A can-do person too, aren't you? You always have yeah, and I'm very unflappable. You know, the ladies uh, in my team that work with me, they always say, if you see Drew panicking, you know we're in deep trouble. <laughs> that's a good That's a good way to be Yeah, known, isn't pretty unflappable. It? Now, you talked a little bit about some of your work experiences and things that you had early on. I found an interesting thing through doing this podcast that often when I ask people who they've learned about business from or who their role models are or who they admire in business, not even within our sector, that very often the people that have made a, an impact on people are the people that you met possibly even before you started full-time work, either on placements or Saturday jobs or and it is funny how, and it shows you how important it is that when folk come into your business, even in a short term thing, that you set, you know, that you help them, that you set them on the right track and things. Because I think a lot of people say they've stayed in businesses because, you know, or stayed in a sector because of a very good experience they had early on. But who have your role models been or who have you learned good or bad from how you want to do things, how you don't want to do things. You don't need to name the ones that you've learned bad things from. I I've, I suppose over my life, I've had that many different role models across the industry. From some of my lecturers at Lockery and, and University, Alan Swimbank at University, who was our professor of economics, and a fantastic businessman to talk to and about politics and, and the political side of food and, you know, the consumer side, right through to Richard MacDonald at the NFU, who was our um, director general at the time, and Helen Lowe were probably fantastic role models for me. So they were especially those, Richard was a director general and he was a very plausible gentleman and would always take time to listen to you and always trying to push your career, you know, push yourself to the limit. Yeah, he he was interested in helping Yeah, yeah, he'd come up through the, gra- I was in the graduate trainee programme, so he'd come up through it, and he was always keen to push you on. Helen Lowe was always very keen on your knowledge, making sure you could gain more knowledge. Every day was about learning, you know, and That's brilliant. she was fantastic and such a enthusiastic person and knowledge of food as well, and wanting everybody to be into food, and, you know, we don't cooking every week because everybody had to cook something every week bake something every week and she was fantastic it's lovely when you work in a culture like that too where everybody is enthusiastic yes. about food and 
comes into work and talks about what they eat and where they've been yeah. and you get as much from that sometimes as as from formal. It is and like you know, I've I suppose I've come in through Kerry and I've met some fantastic people like Kerry Paul Barber, who's our commercial director. You know, met some very tough people there, so you learned on the tough side as well as the good side and you know, a gentleman uh, David Neil, good friend of mine who was a commercial manager in Kerry, he was fantastic. Like goodness me. He was unflappable. So he was he was just, you know, he turned everything around. That's brilliant. Dealing with, you know, maybe a very challenging buyer, David just seemed to be able to turn them around with some quirkiness. It was it was excellent. But no, I've met so many people, even in Best NI, you know, now who I work for Invest Northern Ireland, the regional development agency, you know, it's amazing. It's just amazing that the work that some people do and the, and the work that they can do and help companies drive forward. And, you know, it's as much about the people I work with nowadays, you know, my co- fellow colleagues, Michelle and Jen and Rosemary and Sean and that, who have just so yep. much passion about food and about... I was just going to say who are all really passionate about food. I mean, none of them are have stumbled into that by accident. No. You know, they're all here because they really want to help food businesses too, which is fantastic. It is, and you've met them numerous times, and there's that real yes. passion and just constant passion to really drive forward and help yep. and just try and help people as much as we can. And always be looking for new ways yeah. to help people, new things to do. No, I definitely think that's, I can see that. People often t- talk about, how you have to step out your comfort zone. If you stay in your comfort zone all the time, then you're not stretching or growing. Can you think of something that you've done that you would never have imagined you would have done? I suppose, the, to be honest with you, the role I took when I left very commercial, exceptionally commercial, to go to government is quite outside the, the comfort zone. Yep. But I, I probably would push my team as much out of their comfort zone as they've ever been. And I know if you ever yeah. spoke to Jen, she will tell you, I've made her do stuff that she normally would never have done in her life. I, I'm a very great believer of trying everything. And I'm a great yes. believer of, like, I step outside my comfort zone constantly, constantly step outside the comfort zone. You know, get up on stage or give a, give a talk. Somebody said to me, give a talk, you know, in about five minutes time. I have no issues with that at all. You know, as long as you give me a subject, I'll probably try and talk. So comfort zones, yeah, I I, <laughs> I push everybody. And I, I push myself to continuously step outside my comfort zone, always continue to be doing something different. And learning yeah, something it's all, life's about learning. You know, if you yeah. if you do, as it was the old saying, if you always do what you've always done, you're only ever going to get what you've always got. So you've got to yep. continuously try things and try new things and, and, and open your eyes up. And the world changes too. I mean, I look now, I, when I, one of my early jobs, I was asked to go on a course and the course was to see if it was worthwhile having a website yes. or not. And you just think now, you know, there's no phone book. A lot of trade associations and things that used to make all their money from selling their members' details, you don't need them anymore because we're all on LinkedIn. But also what an amazing network you've got at your fingertips. Oh. And as we've all discovered in the last year, you can work from almost anywhere now. And I mean, that was not in our comprehension when we began work, no. you know. And so I think I think if it's used in the right way, these things are all amazing too. I think technology is fantastic, you know, and I'm not, as you well and truly know, I'm maybe not the most technical person in the world, but, I, you know, the amount of times 
you would have driven two hours for a one hour meeting or flown or, yeah, or, or flown across <laughs> to the UK for a one hour meeting. And now, uh-huh. you know, you can do it via Zoom or via Teams. But I still think there is a very important thing here that we still need to have personality as well and bring the person into this. So there still needs to be that bit of personal meeting each other. Got to still get to know people, haven't you? And even even if you can do that on screen, you need to give more time to it. If you just come into a meeting with an agenda and you all switch on, do that and switch yeah. off. And I think it is good to know even just, you know, what was the last thing somebody ate or just a wee bit of a conversation, the kind of conversation you'd have if you met them in the corridor yeah. or... And I think it is important that we carry that on if we're doing things, more things. It does, virtually. you know, I, I remember the days when I was dealing with buyers from multiples and that there. You got to know each other and you sort of, you know, 50, yeah. 60% of your, your conversation was either about the kids, golf, rugby, football, Gaelic or something. Dogs yeah, in my or, case. you know, or dogs. <laughs> but it, there was so much of your conversation that there's only a small bit of it was down to get the business done. And then, you know... But over Teams and Zoom, I don't think sometimes it gives you that. But so I, for me, it's still important to actually see people at least more than once, twice, maybe three times a year. Because I think you can get, yeah, you can find out information or you can talk about stuff that you probably wouldn't over Teams and you might forget about. And I think we've all got better at it too. Yes. But I still thought, I think you're right. But I, the thing that I'm loving is the access to our markets that it gives people who probably couldn't afford to have to come to do a market search or or that sort of thing. You know, I mean, I'm working with people in the Caribbean and different places and it makes me more accessible to them because they're not having to pay all my travel costs and all those kind of things. And it allows us with our glasses technology and stuff to show people around stores remotely so that they get a real feeling of what that store's like, which you don't get from a whole lot of photos or something. So I do think it's great the way technology has also had a bit of a... Absolutely. I know last year, in the last year, and we've continued them on with uh, our virtual Meet the Buyers, you know, and showcases. You know, we're we're picking maybe eight or ten companies to showcase. And we've we've brought Paula McIntyre in, you know, chef in Northern Ireland. And, you know, so you're not just showing the products, you're actually showing how they can be used. And she's a top chef and she's... And you're seeing her use them in real time. But also I think everybody can pop from their desk onto their screen for half an hour or an hour. But if you're talking about, could you all come over to Belfast? Could you see this? Could you be with us for a whole day? Which you have to do to justify it and then fly back late at night, having got the red eye in the morning or stay over or... I think it gives you more access to people because people can afford to do it time-wise. You know, now with the Zooms and with Paula doing the cooking, we've had a mixologist on mixing alcohol and different things like that there. Yep. And then we send out boxes to the to the people. You know, I think they get to touch it, feel it. Then Paula's coming on and doing the cooking. And we've had a couple of buying directors from major multiples who have had their cameras off and we asked them, what are they doing? They say, we're cooking in the background. And they've been cooking along with her. And But yeah. do you know what it's actually brought? I think whenever we do get back to travelling, you know, some of the guys across the UK, the buyers across the UK, will actually say, no, I would like to go now and see five or six of those companies because I've felt the product, I've touched the product, I've seen it being used. I can see it. Now I want yep. to actually meet the people. And it is lovely when you meet them. I mean, I met the guys from Hellbent 
two exhibitions recently having had their product and tasted it and things and it's you feel more comfortable immediately but you also know it's a good product and you're interested in it whereas possibly you know at a trade show you might not have tasted it or so no I do think getting stuff into people's homes and into their hands and I think that's something that we've all learned about food and drink judging too that while it takes longer because you have to cook everything yourself you're also seeing right away what the flaws are in it or what else would make it great or if it really does cook exactly like it says on the pack or you know and I think all of that's good or just what was a faff and so what you might never recommend you know yeah, and I think, yeah, like I sat in a panel judging with yourself, and as you read the instructions, you go, yeah, they make sort of sense. But actually, when you're actually sitting there going, right, I have to now follow these instructions, one, two, three, four, five, and I'm not just going to use my own knowledge going, oh, I don't need to do that or I'll, No, that's not how I would do that. No, you actually have to follow them. To and the then you actually time. go, is this, or, you know, the product could be fantastic or sometimes it could be like, oh my goodness, there's something seriously wrong here, you know. Or even just that was a lot of work and it's maybe not worth the effort. And I don't think you necessarily got that when somebody else did it for you. So I do think how some judging is done will also change, which is a good thing. It's great to always It is. And, and, you know, um, hopefully next year we'll have moved on. I'm looking forward to actually getting back right. Because the judging, I love the judging, like across the UK and Ireland, seeing all... Because all the networks. It's all the networks. But but it's, it's seeing how the artisans drive innovation. You know, they really yes. do drive innovation, which the big guys then look at. Which is why the big guys are so interested in having a number of challenger brands in with them. Yeah. And because I always, I mean, f- small businesses always say, oh, but, you know, the big guys have got all the budget and da, da, da. And I say, yep, but you've got flexibility, speed, less risk aversity. Because, you know, I mean, if you're a huge brand, you can't do something and see how it yeah. works out. If you're a small brand, there's not a lot stopping you. And especially in food, when it probably doesn't require a total retool or refit of your factory to change something, you can just do those changes. I would much rather be a small business with a small budget than a big business with a big budget because you're locked down far more. You know yourself in the big business where we've come from. It could take 18 months to two years by the time you apply for the CapEx, get all the legislation or whatever you know the the hoops you've got to jump through internally market research well if you're a small business you know an artisan you can come to invest in library you can look up all the latest research and go right that's the angles i need to go on now i'm going to go home and make it or you can go to one of our educational institutes that look at food like salakri or dairy or or you university of ulster and say right here's a brief can you go and make this for me and and here and get yep. an innovation voucher and say right here's what I want here's my brief go and make it and they'll come back and go well here's it is here's your shelf here's the taste panel results here's the packaging or a group of you can have yeah. a chat you know in the office or over Zoom and decide you'll give something else a try you know and you just try getting that through when your minimum volume is several thousand kilos you know I mean just you're not going to have a bash at it are you you know. And even, you know, if you're trying to do some innovation with some of the large companies, you're having to book uh, space on the production lines, do a production runs, and you just can't get it. And you're maybe, you know, you've got 30... I know, it's when folks say to me, you know, we'd like to launch that in eight weeks, and I'm like, you've got no chance. Because there won't be any space for you to do that. No, and and definitely not at the minute with packaging. You just can't get your hands on packaging. You know? 
so much stuff that's that's holding things up just now. It's a shame. But what have you eaten recently that you've been surprised by or that you've loved or that's front of your mind? Oh. Because and it can either be a meal out, something you ate at home, something that a supplier sent you. What have you what have you seen? I have actually I've actually had some kombucha recently from a small artisan supplier. Mm. Absolutely, you know, fantastic, lovely uh, product. You giving them a name check so we can all go and look for it. I or will. You not? <laughs> I will do. Will do <laughs> uh, I think it is. But ah. I'll t- do you know? There's one product that has stood out to me, and it's, and it still stands out to me. And it's not just it, in recent times I've tasted it, and it's uh, it sounds very boring. But it was actually a steak, but not just a normal steak. It was by one of the Northern Ireland leading producers. And I'm sure you can name drop him if you can think of him. I, I yeah. would know, Mr. Hannan. And it, uh, to this day, it's just, it was unreal. And, and what was it? What was the cut? Or was it oh aged? Yes, or? Yes, it was well, it was dry aged, salt aged, mm-hmm. the Himalayan salt chambers. And it, it was a sirloin. But it was just, mm. so it was a th- very thick sir. but it was absolutely yep. fantastic, you know. Now you're taunting us all too, because we can't get that in the UK. Come on, that's what you need to be oh working on. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes, Peter. Can... Or we, can't, we can't get it in the mainland no. here. So Do you know, no. so my, my taste buds are quite varied. I was actually up in Bur- um, when I was in, over at lunch last week, you know. Um, yep. I met up with a couple of gentlemen, we went out for a bite to eat. And we went to a Turkish restaurant and it was uh-huh. absolutely fantastic. Good food, well done. You cannot no. eat, can you? It doesn't need to be the most expensive thing you eat. Or... No, but it was absolutely fantastic. That's great, isn't it? I know. It's lovely when you get something that just excites yeah. you differently. And I mean, I, I told you that several of the things that I've had in boxes from invest in i i say have cost me a fortune because i've then gone oh, back and had to buy more yeah, and more like of them do you know? balsamic and, have produced some absolutely yep. fantastic balsamics and the little uh gooseberries the oh, little perils and unreal. things and the well foods. actually i had yeah. uh, morelli's ice cream at the weekend now that was he they are probably i, I know no morelli's from many years ago and especially from the ice cream alliance awards and they were always one of the top vanillas in the UK. And some of the varieties that Morelli's make as well as Unreal. They're fantastic. You know, he's got a, a new one out that's just one of three star caramelised hazelnut. You get some great, great taste awards results last, we have, last week. We have. For Northern Ireland, I, I, I saw that again. I looked through the, the list and I mean, there's just a great, it just, and the breadth of, you know, it's not all one type of thing or, you know, the, the breadth of it is amazing, isn't it? It's a great a great way to get the attention. Again, what would you say to somebody who was thinking of starting a food business? What is the one thing you would say, make sure you know about this or make sure you start with this or make sure you do this first? What's your, your thing that you would say? If you're going to start with a food business, make sure you know who your consumer is. Do not go production up, go consumer down. That's key. Yeah. Um, understand the commercials and your route to market is key as well. Those yep. are, but it's understanding your consumer, who the consumer is, how you want to get to them, what do they want. And what specifically they want. 
Yeah, and understanding your marketplace, where are you aimed at? Is it food service, wholesale, retail? Have a real understanding of your whole business on that front yep. because it's challenging enough out there. And understand, the, it's really, for me, I suppose, the manufacturing side is easy enough. It, it, you, you'll get, you, you'll mm-hmm. over, overcome that. Understanding your costs, but it, it's so important, is that financial side. Yep. Understanding the costs, because if you get those wrong, you'll get your commercials wrong. If you get that wrong, you know. And I would say also, even if you understand your costs, knowing when they don't stack up, and although you've maybe invested a lot of time or thought it was a great idea, knowing when you should walk away is a great thing too. And and it's if you're dealing with commercial buyers, no matter what they are, be able to push back. Don't be afraid to push back as well, because they expect mm-hmm. that. You know, they, they do expect mm-hmm. that. But it's, it's for businesses, it's so much, you know, when you talk to, when you have a new food product and you talk to a buyer, no matter where they're from, you have got to be understand that you're only renting shelf space. You know, if, if, if you take the yep. Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Asda or Morrison's or Waitrose, realistically, you're entering, you're renting some shelf space off them to put a brand on their shelving. Yeah. It's how are you going to get that off that shelf? And it's under... Getting it on, folks celebrate yeah, when you get it on, but getting it off is the tricky bit and making sure you're doing it at a pace that appeals to the retailers. It is. It's only 50% of it. That's 50% of your challenge. It's it's your brand. So how do you get it to that consumer base? So that's what I say. It's understanding that consumer, understanding your messaging. And within our industry, they talk about you know a lot of above the line. And that's, that's really, yep. above the line means that's your marketing. How are you going to tell those consumers to get that out? What mechanisms When people say to me too, when they've come out of a meeting, oh, the buyer only asked us for this much for the promotion budget or this much for, and and they're kind of pleased because it's a small amount. And I'm like, okay, but (laughs) they have thousands of products. How are you going to make sure folk know about your ones? And particularly now when a lot more has shifted to online shopping and things, you won't even notice if something new has gone into a store because you're probably not going into the store and you're just hitting all your usual items on a shopping list. So there has to be a lot yeah, more. Yeah, and it's, that's to say, it's understanding that spend and how do you get that, you know... you, you, you squeeze you're, as much out of it as you can. Yeah, and you may be in a category fighting against some big brands that you've entered into against and you're a small, maybe an artisan, really top quality brand. But it's how do you be competitive against them? You know... Communicate your differences. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you read? Do you read personal development or business development or do you read novels? What's, or are you an audible listener? Because that's. <laughs> I, I, I do read the odd management book and I'm reading one at the minute that was written by Paul Barber, a friend of mine's. So I'm actually reading that. It's about building team building. He's a coach, so he would be in. A, he's up at um, Henley Business School, so he lectures up there. So he's right, yep. coaching there. So I'm reading one of his books at the minute, uh, slowly. Um, but I'm I'm more of a. I don't know. I think I'm more because it's so intense during the week, and you're constantly working. Yeah, I like novels. I'm sorry, but I'm a relaxed. A bit of escapism, no? That's good. I, I like fiction novels. I'm a. I do collect. Which uh, a range of books, so I do collect first editions from Edgar Rice Burroughs' mm-hmm. Tarzan novels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, 
bit quirky, but um, yeah. So to- no, it's no, no, it's funny, isn't it? When uh, as a young adult, my first holidays were all in Italy, and you know they don't use a a J in their alphabet in the same way as we do. And so for them, my name, Jane, was as fictitious as Tarzan. And they would all say to me, oh, like Tarzan. Yeah. Oh, like, God, yeah. No, not like Tarzan at all. But that's just how what the two names were that they thought so went together. So they thought somebody in your family had been a Tarzan fan. <laughs> I was like, no, no. It is a name, but it just doesn't translate over there. Oh, the okay. Um. If you were going to sum yourself up in three words, they don't need to connect. What are those three words? This is a bit like, I don't know if you know the the map thing called what three words where they allocate three random words to a place in a map so you can always be found. So this is the human version of what three words. What are the three that you think? Fun. Um, Assertive. Mm -hmm. And knowledgeable good these are all great <laughs> thank you very much that's good i think it's always yeah. good fun just to work out you know what words people would use and to know how you see them in there and i mean earlier on you also said you were very positive yeah. and i thought that was absolutely on the money too i've never known don't, you uh, not i'm sure there's more words people would describe me as that work with me but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> not maybe not to your face true <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.